Should we have a look at what personal revival looks like? We're going to look at two scriptures, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, and we're going to compare the two, see the similarities, and also maybe see the subtle difference as well. So let's turn firstly to Isaiah 55, the first three verses of Isaiah 55. Uh, if you haven't got your Bibles, I'd recommend that you read your own Bible, something in front of you you can later on recognize as you when you go home, you know where it is, you might have made notes in it, but if you haven't got your Bibles or something, it's going to be on the screen for you as well. And I, uh, I made them a bit bigger this time, so hopefully those at the back as well can, can read clearly. Chris has been talking about personal revival. Chris doesn't know what I'm preaching on, and Wendy said she just felt the need to read out that verse when we were singing and being quiet earlier, but she didn't. But there you go, it's up there. Okay, verse Isaiah 53, starting at verse 1. It says, Come. Well, that's what you've done today to church. When you come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Now, from our knowledge of Scripture, what... Or who might be the waters that God is saying we should come to? These, these verses we're going to look at today, by the way, are what God is desiring for he, you and he to be in interaction. Okay? So what or who might be the waters that God is asking you to come to? I, I think it is the Holy Spirit. Because the answer for me comes from a few things that Jesus revealed. Now, you don't have to turn there, but it's going to come on the screen. John 7, Jesus said this, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So that's one clue that the waters might be the Holy Spirit. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the waters or the living water. And it's the same as he told the Samaritan woman at the well in, in John 4. He talked about this living water that he could give her, and that she could drink from and never be thirsty again. And in the book of Revelation, John sees the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing down from the, the throne of the Father and Jesus. And listen to what Jesus promises about this river in Revelation he says, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Now, I wouldn't recommend it, but there's many places that in Bromley and Lewisham boroughs that you can drink from the River Ravensbourne. You ever drunk from the River Ravensbourne? No? Any? No? The River Cray, no, but not, not the Ravensbourne. Any ideas? How long the Ravensbourne is? Any guesses? It goes into the Thames. It's 11 miles long, okay? So you could drink from the River Ravensbourne in many different places as it winds its way, but if you wanted to drink from the spring, okay, where would you go? Where's the spring of the Ravensbourne? Keston Ponds, that's where the Ravensbourne begins. And apparently it got its name because Julius Caesar's um, uh, guard soldiers were stopping there 
And they found this source of water, and above it, flying above it, was a raven. So they named it Ravensbourne, allegedly. Okay? The name goes all the way back to doomsday, at least, uh, at least kind of 10,000 or whatever it was. But apparently, that's where it comes from, the name. So that's where the spring is. That's where the source of the Ravensbourne is. Now, see here, Jesus says, To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Who's the spring of the water of life, do we think? Well, I'd say the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is also the carrier. He's the giver. He brings this living water into someone, and it springs up within them. But there's this amazing river of life flowing from the throne and the Father. Yes, comes from the Father and Jesus. But I think the spring, as it were, that comes to us, and maybe in heaven, is the Holy Spirit. He's the source as well as the carrier and the bringer. He's the spring. It's different to drink from the spring than it is the river, down further down the river. Do you think it's a bit cleaner at the spring, potentially, than it is down at Lewisham? <laughs> okay. Um, now, according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is certainly the one who causes this living water to well up or spring up within us. And Paul tells the church in Corinth that as Christians, we were all given the one spirit, capital S, to drink. Okay? The Holy Spirit is the spring and the bringer of this life-giving water. And it, ours, our role, is to present ourselves and drink. Is that correct? Yeah? Are we supposed to drink from the Holy Spirit? Drink from the water he gives? Yes. Okay, let's go back to our one slide on. We'll go back to our, our verse in Isaiah 55. Come, all you are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. Now what or who might the wine represent? If the waters represent the Holy Spirit, perhaps, the living water, what might the wine represent? Yeah, could be Jesus' blood. You know when Jesus said, this, is my, this wine is my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so it could represent the blood of Jesus. But what else did Jesus say about wine, particularly new wine? He talked about needing new wineskins, didn't he? For new wine in that parable, potentially meaning that people need to be born again before they can receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. They need to meet new wineskins for this wonderful new wine that God is going to be pouring out. So the wine could represent the blood of Jesus that washes us clean from our sins, or it could represent, once more, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay, what do you think the milk might represent? Come and drink from the waters. Come buy wine and milk. What, what do the milk might represent? Yeah, where do you get that idea from? Well, yeah, it is Peter, isn't it? 1 Peter 2.2 2 says this, And as newborn babes, as Christians, born again, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. 
the milk of the word of God. Okay? So, are we going back to our, our verse again? Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? Okay? What or who might the bread be? Holy Spirit is the water. The wine might be Jesus' blood or the Holy Spirit again. And uh, the milk is the word of God. What might this bread be? Bread of life. Who's the bread of life? Jesus. Yeah, he's the bread of life. He's the bread of heaven. So this is what Jesus said in John 6. He said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So the Holy Spirit provides this living water, and Jesus said, I am the living bread. So as well as drinking the living water from the Holy Spirit, the spring that he brings, there's also need for us to eat the living bread that Jesus offers us as well. Is that true? Yeah? Okay, back to our Isaiah verse, verse 2. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. So when it comes to God's call to us in Isaiah 55 concerning himself, concerning the Holy Spirit, concerning the blood of Jesus, concerning the word of God, concerning Jesus Christ himself, I don't think he could make it any clearer. Come. Come seek. Come buy. Come eat. Give ear. Listen. Listen. And listen. Okay? Do you hear that too? In Isaiah 55? A relationship with God is so wonderful. That, and Sunday morning attendance is just the, the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? Our presence here is, is good and wonderful and needed. But really when it comes to God and what he desires for you and he, it's just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? Come, seek, buy, eat, give ear, listen, listen, and listen. It's like the picture that Psalm 23 paints that even in the presence of your enemies, Jesus has prepared a table for you. In the presence, what do you need to do? Sit down and eat at this table that he's prepared for you. Partake. So now let's look at our New Testament scripture. Any ideas where we're going? Any, 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 with your knowledge of scripture, any scriptures you think kind of mirror Isaiah 55 a little bit? Come, buy, eat. Hmm? Yeah, come to me, Lord, thirsty. Come to me, all heavy laden, weary. Well, it's not that one. All right. It's the most unpopular passage in the Bible when it comes to Christians or to church, maybe. It makes you feel uncomfortable. Which one is that? What verse makes you feel the most? Oh, you've got it up there already. Okay. <laughs> Revelation 3. Turn to there. Revelation 3. It's the lukewarm one. Oh. 
Revelation 3, verse 14. This is Jesus Christ dictating letters to the angels of the churches, the seven churches in the area at that time. And uh, this letter begins with, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, Jesus talking about himself. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus' polite way of saying, vomit. Now when a body vomits, it's normally to get rid of something that's not good. Okay, something that the body does not need. Interestingly, from a geographical point of view, the city of Laodicea did not have any sources of water of its own. It had no natural spring or river. Mm-hmm. It is unusual. It had to import its water, usually by a viaduct or something like that. Okay? And even more interestingly and remarkable, because of Jesus' choice of hot, cold and lukewarm analogy, several miles north of Laodicea was the mountain town of Hierapolis, is that right? Hierapolis? Mike? That's the one. Hierapolis. Which, okay, this is Hierapolis. Hierapolis, which was known for its hot springs. So there's a mountain town a few miles away that's known for its hot natural thermal springs. Okay? And even today, Hierapolis is known for its subterranean hot springs. Did you know that, Mike? Yes. All right. Proof. I'm telling the truth. Mike says it is. Okay. And any hot water transported from Hierapolis down to Laodicea, guess what happened to it by the time it reached there? Cooled out. It was lukewarm. And equally, any cool water transferred from neighboring city of Colossae, which had fresh water springs would end up not cold, but lukewarm by the time it reached Laodicea. Neither body of water, whether it was hot when it began or cold when it began, by the time it reached Laodicea, neither body of water ended up representing its true source. So as well as their actual lukewarm water that the Laodicean church had, Jesus referring to its Christians as having ended up spiritually lukewarm too. Do you know the closer you are to Jesus, the more likely you are to be like him, to represent what is actually going on, springing up within you. What did Jesus say to the church after he accused them of being lukewarm? You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. 
So apart from its need to import water, Laodicea was a wealthy area known for banking and textiles. What's Green Street Green known for? Hmm? Waitrose? <laughs> nice greenery, nice woodlands to walk your dog. Uh, pubs? Farmland? Yeah. All right. Well, Laodicea was pretty wealthy, known for its boomy economy. So maybe these Christians had pretty much all they needed at hand in a booming economy. And maybe the Laodicean Christians thought they'd arrived in general. They'd come to God. They'd acquired the wealth of salvation through receiving the gospel of Jesus. And from now on, they seem to be living in the middle lane of Christianity where anything they needed was just a prayer of way. You know, we're okay. If we need something, we'll pray. On the face of it, they seem to be cruising in this kind of middle lane of Christianity. And in their opinion, they can say, what do they say? I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But what does Jesus say? But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Now, I know I've said this before, but it's worth repeating, I think. For a Christian to come to God out of need is natural. But for a Christian to come to God simply out of friendship is supernatural. Maybe these Laodicean Christians had forgotten that. According to Jesus... What should these lukewarm Christians do? They're neither hot or cold. They're not representing their true source, are they? What does he counsel them to do? Can you see that you can see the similarity now, can't you? In verse 18, it says, I counsel you to buy from me. Isaiah 55, and now Jesus saying, I want you to come to me and buy from me. You come and buy from me. And in a moment we shall read that Jesus also wants them to eat as well, which is another echo of Isaiah 55. So on earth, how do we buy things? Well, we normally buy things here with money or labour, don't we? We work for something or we use money. To buy something. But in Isaiah, what is God saying that we should buy? In Isaiah 55, he said, buy without money and without cost, didn't he? Do you remember that? Buy from me without money or cost. So what do you and me and the Laodicean Christians, what should they use to buy from Jesus? What have they got that they can buy stuff from Jesus. Mm. Well, I reckon it's faith. I reckon that faith is the currency of heaven. And the scripture says that each Christian has been given a measure of faith in Romans 12:3. You've kind of been given heavenly pocket money. Be like your mum and dad did, or your aunt, your uncle, your granddad. Don't tell your nanny. He's given you some heavenly pocket money to spend. Okay? 
So what do you do? Do you go out to the shops on Saturday morning? I used to have a friend, and I, he was a bit eccentric at the age of nine or ten, and I used to drag him round on my homemade wooden um, uh, go-kart. And if we were going down a faster hill, we'd say, oh, watch my Saturday box. I said, Saturday box? And what he meant by that was his stomach. <laughs> because on Saturday, he went straight to the sweet shop with his pocket money and filled his Saturday box. He was eccentric, wasn't he? <laughs> watch my Saturday box. All right. <laughs> so we've been given faith to use as this currency to buy from God. He's given us heavenly pocket money to spend. It's up to us how we invest it. But God is also kind enough to give us a clue as to how he wants us to spend our faith, our pocket money. And he said this in Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him is of two things you need. Firstly, must believe that he exists, okay? But the Bible also says even demons believe in God and tremble, okay? So you're doing just as well as a demon if you believe God exists, all right? This is the difference with a born-again believer. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. How do you spend your faith? Well, first of all, you believe in God, but then you take it further by earnestly seeking him. Okay? What's the time? War. This is going to be a two-parter. All right? Let's see if we can finish in a good place. I'm preaching next week, so it won't be too long to, um, to, uh, to catch up. Okay. So two combined things that God wants us to spend our faith on. Believing he exists and diligently or earnestly seeking him. With our heavenly pocket money, we choose not to go to the sweet shop on Saturday and fill up your Saturday box. I dare you to go home and mention that to someone next year. Oh, I've eaten too much in my Saturday box or something. <laughs> okay. With our heavenly pocket money of faith, we are using our faith to come to God. This is how we spend our pocket money. Spending our faith to come to the Holy Spirit and drink his living water. Come to Jesus and receiving this washing of his blood and the nourishment of the bread of his body that he offers you. Coming to the Bible and drinking the milk of the word. Okay? Coming to the Holy Spirit and drinking takes faith. Coming to Jesus and being washed in his blood and eating the bread he, he offers takes faith. Okay? Coming to the Bible and drinking of his milk takes faith. That's you using your heavenly pocket money not to go somewhere else and do something else, but in that moment, you're seeking God. You're using faith to seek God. When Jesus prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies... Guess what? It takes faith to sit down. It takes faith, particularly if you're stressed out and you're busy and you're worried about many things. It takes faith to sit down at the table and listen or eat or whatever Jesus is wanting you to do. When your body says, the last thing I feel like doing right now is being still, and yet God has said, 
be still and know that I'm God, that takes faith. Because your body doesn't want to do that. Your soul is all over the place, but your spirit, who knows the truth, wants to spend faith by doing that right now. When you're in the middle of a very busy day and you talk your stressed self into spending some time opening the Bible and drinking that milk, that takes faith, doesn't it? When you're so stressed out or you're busy or you're worried, just spending five minutes reading and drinking that milk of the word, that takes faith. To corral your body and your soul into engaging in one of these spiritual acts, reading the Bible is a spiritual act. It doesn't have to be, but you won't get anything unless it's a spiritual act. Coming to Jesus and receiving his washing through his blood, that's a spiritual act. To corral your body and your soul into engaging in one of these spiritual acts that might not instantly seem to be any, of any benefit to them, your body and your soul, and even sometimes objectionable to your body and soul, that takes faith, doesn't it? I like to think of faith as getting your soul and your body to engage with the truth of God that your spirit already knows. Your spirit knows God's talking the truth. You just need to kind of like corral your body and your soul into doing that very thing that God is calling you to do. And that takes faith. To come to the Father, to drink from the Holy Spirit, to buy from Jesus, is basically to use your faith to meet with them in that way. That is spending your pocket money, your heavenly pocket money he's given you. That's diligently seeking God. And maybe these Laodicean Christians have forgotten that. They're still doing good deeds. They're still gathering, but maybe Jesus says, You've, you're not coming back to the source. You're not using your faith to drink from me, to buy from me. Okay? By the time the world sees you, because you're so far from the source, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold anymore. You're far from me. Use your faith to come back to me, to drink from me. Okay. To present yourself, spirit, soul, and body before the Lord is faith well spent. Okay. That's where we're going to end it today. Because after that, Jesus tells them what they should buy from him. And we're going to, you can actually, you can research his homework, but next week I'll see if you've got the same answer as me. What Jesus wants you to buy from him, what they represent, and how you actually buy from him, eat from him drink from him. Does that sound like a good plan? Amen. Thank you.